Hello, and welcome to Poll the Other One, a podcast where we find out if pole dancing can solve all of our problems. I'm your sexy stick enthusiast, Shandoxy. And I'm Shan's friend, Lulu, who has no experience on a pole. Well, uh, not the metal kind. very important job on the show though she is finding us a brand sponsor for the podcast Lulu which brand are you bringing in today uh, today I thought it would be a good idea if we could get sponsorship from lovely Tony's lovely salsa uh, we all know the catchphrase it's hot it's hot it's far too hot have you sampled to lovely Tony's lovely salsa? Oh, no, it's far too hot. <laughs> that could work as a kind of, maybe like a pole lube, like a kind of grip substance. Uh, for someone you hate, yeah. <laughs> a perfect, a passive-aggressive pole gift. Yes, absolutely. Sounds like the perfect fit, and we should organise a Zoom meeting. But before that, let's meet our guest. Nika is a pole dancer and a psychotherapist. Nika, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm very good. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Before we ask you about pole dancing and psychotherapy, and let's be honest, try to get a free therapy session for me and for Lulu, let's find out a bit more about you through some quick fire questions. Lulu has a set of random words to choose from. Don't overthink it. Just pick the word you prefer, after which we'll give you a personality assessment. Let's go. Okay, so don't don't think about it too much. But I will be judging you very heavily. No choices. Okay, ready? Yeah. Stick or tick? Tick. Bear or chair? Chair. Halt or salt? Salt. Youth or truth? Youth. Bingo or Ringo? Ringo. Flute or boot? Oh, flute. Dance or mayonnaise? Dance. (laughs) Little or spittle? Spittle. Hands or prams? Hands clearly when you ask it like that. <laughs> uh, final one: um, uh, wigs or pigs? Pigs. Good choice. Thank you, Thank Lulu. You. In your professional assessment, based on those answers, have we got a read on Nika? A oh, deeply unhinged. Perfect. Fantastic. <laughs> Nika, a couple more quickfire questions for you. Question one: Which person, dead or alive, would you most like to see pole dancing? Ooh. <sighs> I was going to say my former president, but I'm not sure how... Who that... is this? Which Kolinda Grabar-Kitarovic, mine, as in from back. I'm not sure how well that will poll with people who don't know who that is. Which country is it? Croatia. Croatia. Okay. Why 
with this person. <laughs> I love that you didn't try and say the name. Yeah, no, I, I was, honestly, I was considering it and I was like, yeah, yeah, no, well, no, Shan gets cancelled in the first two minutes of her own podcast. I think, so she's she's quite an attractive woman and I think she did a really good job of playing that. She's mm-hmm. also conservative. She's not a, like, she's not someone I would vote for, but I think she did a really good job of playing to the fact that she's quite an attractive woman in conservative politics. Whoa. So like fit but evil. Kind of, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, evil stepmother vibes, yeah. that, that sort of. Also, Disney classic. Yeah, and also seemingly based on Italy, like the way to get into power is be a sexy fascist. <laughs> so which party would she be in in the UK? She's like conservative or would she be more right wing? Yeah, no, no, she would be conservative. She's not. Yeah, she would be Tory. Not not more right wing than that. <laughs> but I but definitely Tory. Not, not a. Yeah. What do you think she would do on the poll as a first thing? Uh, I think she would be really good at keeping eye contact while dancing. Oh, because she can hold eye contact with people while, like, cutting their welfare benefits? Exactly, yes. And you know what a lovely thing to do with eye contact is to hold eye contact uh, over a meal uh, while enjoying it with some lovely Tony's lovely salsa. (laughs) (laughs) As you were. Oh, sorry, Lulu, could you do that bit in Croatian? No. (laughs) (laughs) Can we repeat, what was the name of this person? Kolinda Grabar Kitarovic. Kolinda Gravakitarovic. The podcast email is pulltheotheronepodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to do an episode or a pole dancing class based on Nika's wishes, get in touch. And uh, lovely Tony, if you're listening, that's also the email address you can find us at. Politically, could we cover her in hot salsa and make her do a pole dancing class as a promotional bit? I mean, we could try. And that's how we got (laughs) big in Croatia. (laughs) Nika, question two. Which person, dead or alive, would you least like to see pole dancing? Oh. Oh, somehow that's much harder. Hmm. And they have to be someone famous, right? Oh, no, it can be anyone. Oh, my mother. (laughs) (laughs) Not because, like, I'd love for her to try it. I don't think either one of us would have fun with me being there watching. This sounds very Freudian already. Mm. (laughs) Has your mother ever been on a poll to your knowledge absolutely not <laughs> my my mother has barely gotten over the fact that i'm on a poll and ah. sort of she she's now capable of commenting on moves but every single time she's like but you could put more clothes on <laughs> okay so this Mom. is interesting for me because i don't know anything about it so from that i'm guessing that for you it's inherently sexualized hold on no i just think a lot of the classes I do are sensual classes, so that's the style I'd prefer. Okay. If I'm having a bad day and I'm doing it because I want to move, I'll I'll wear a t-shirt. But as a general rule, I I won't wear much. Okay. Uh, and I then I send that video to my mother, who you know, God bless her, <laughs> has learned how to be supportive with that. Wow. But it's not. Yeah, it was not intuitive. My parents find the whole idea of me pole dancing so much less embarrassing than the idea of me doing comedy. <laughs> It's been a it's been a journey. <laughs> what did your mother say when she saw your video? Um, I mean, I think she was trying to be supportive, but there was a lot about okay, so why this particular like I don't I don't get it. Why is this the thing that you've chosen to do now? Um, but I think she was trying to understand it. And yeah, the the but why do you have to be naked? Is the the sort of the repeated theme that one she never dropped. So. This question is a little bit more personal. Firstly, do you remember your first ever pole dancing class? I do. 
Okay, and then as someone who has no experience of pole dancing, could you please describe that to me? But from the point of view of the pole. I could. Okay. <laughs> and thank you. <laughs> so from the point of view of the pole, it would go something like this. Um, this woman is having a panic attack in front of me. <laughs> she is incredibly unfit um, and terrified of that. <laughs> She is trying to hold on to me for dear life and is failing miserably because her palms are so sweaty, sort of grip is only... These arms are heavy, there's vomit on her sweater yes. already. Yeah. <laughs> no vomit, thank God. But uh, And now she's sort of trying to crawl into a corner without that being too obvious to the other 75,000 people in that class because it was a very packed class. I think that's that. that would be about it. Wow. That was absolutely amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> Why did you go back? I didn't. That was a good 16 years ago where I accidentally did a pole class in my gym because they had it and I was interested and I wanted to try it. And there were these women who were like into bodybuilding and sort of, you know, benching their own body weight for warm-ups. Can I, sorry, can I just ask you about Accidentally, yeah. Ac- I accidentally. Well, did so a I didn't. Class. I didn't come for the class. I came to the gym, and they had like a training room, and they had the pole class in it. And the friend, the friend that was there with me, was like, "Yes, we need to do this. We need to try this." And I was interested. I, I wanted to try, so I kind of went, "Oh, okay. Can we join?" And the lady leading it was like, "Yeah, yeah. It's an open class for all the gym goers." So we went into it. Okay, semi-accidental. I thought they're more like these aren't the showers and then (laughs) yeah I thought more like oh this is a bar class but it's more vertical than I was expecting (laughs) no 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 not not that accidentally thank god although maybe I would have had a better time (laughs) we have so many questions for you about life as both a pole dancer and in psychology but so we start from the beginning could you tell us how you became a psychotherapist Yeah, so technically I'm a psychotherapeutic counsellor, and I will also be a psychotherapist, hopefully, by the end of this year. By the end of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That would be great. I also have a degree in psychology. I've been hitting around this area for quite a while, but without really finding what it is exactly that I want to do, right? So I started with general psychology. I then thought "Mm, maybe clinical psychology, but that wasn't it. Then I moved to communication sciences. That wasn't it. So... When I moved to London, which was about six years ago, it felt like, okay, this is a good time to start doing a training, which is something that I've been thinking about for a while. And then once I started, I think the first intro weekend, I was like, yep, that's the one. Amazing. Did moving to London give you a sense of the demand for psychotherapy as well? Or is that unrelated? No, no, no. It was it was more of a I wasn't really clear what I'm going to do. So I figured I might as well, you know, do the the thing that I always do when I don't know what to do, which is read something about stuff. (laughs) Love love doing a course for me. (laughs) Doing a course is a way of staving off the existential panic. Yeah, exactly. Lovely. uh, I will do a PhD (laughs) at some point exactly for that reason. Can I ask where you trained? Uh, Yes, Metanoia Institute. Oh, nice. So I actually have not completed my training because the pandemic hit and I realised that I don't have it in me. But I did a foundation year at Regents and then two years at CPPD. So I've got got a little bit of knowledge in my head myself. Okay, good. We can chat shop without sharing understanding. Oh, but we can definitely chat shop. Lulu, how has the psychotherapy training helped or hindered you in stand-up comedy? 
I tell you what, um, when you try and make jokes in a room full of other trainee counsellors, <laughs> um, they don't love it. <laughs> and particularly on days when it was like I was going from training to a gig or vice versa um, and I was sort of in one mode or the other uh. it wasn't great but I, when I, I was working as a counsellor in a in a secondary school as part of my training and um, I did I have to admit have one client that I tested out quite a lot of material on because there wasn't a lot for us to chat about he was just there because he'd been chucked out of class and like, <laughs> so yeah I'm not that's why I can't do it I'm not I'm not professional enough I don't know I think when working with kids that's probably a really good way in so thanks yeah I'm actually really good at it <laughs> Nika what happens in a psychotherapeutic counseling session depends a little bit on what you're coming for some things are always the same and you know we're referred to them as the containers generally speaking it's always 50 minutes it's usually in the same format so I see clients both in person and on zoom and generally speaking try to see them just in the medium that we're working in but then it really depends on what people bring you know I have some clients who really need to talk things through and that's one way of working. I have other clients who really need support to focus on what they're experiencing internally. Uh, and there's much more movement, crafting occasionally, Play-Doh and stuff like that. And Oh, yeah, yeah, I have so, a large box of Play-Doh in my office. Amazing. I can't remember I've, if I've misremembered this, but um, I saw on your website that you do gestalt work. Is that is that the chair that is the chair work part uh, of that? Because <laughs> that just made me, I remember having to talk to an empty chair quite a lot and feeling in front of a group and feeling stupid. That was not one of Lulu's gigs, to be clear. That was in a training. I mean, it's reminiscent I mean, of a I, lot of my gigs. <laughs> and sometimes it looks like a gig. Yeah, I think Gestalt, at least in the UK, is perceived to be a little bit quirky. And I think it's perceived as a little bit quirky because it has these techniques like the two chairs or the empty chair or the top dog underdog. Because they're quirky, people know about them. But I think they're more a show of the underlying principle, which is experimentation is a big principle in Gestalt. Okay, here's the pattern you're telling me you're sort of engaging in. How can we move it to make you do something differently? And sometimes they're really small. Sometimes it's about sort of taking something externally and so on. I think I've used the two-chair thing once. They teach you because it's a technique, but it's much more about, okay, the principle underlying thing happening is this person has two different opinions about the same thing at the same time. Mm -hmm. How do you help them work with it? The chair thing is just one possible sort of example of how. And if you're looking to try something different, why not try some of lovely Tony's lovely salsa? It's hot, it's hot, it's far too hot. Would you consider a lap dancing chair dance gestalt session? I think there would be some ethical issues around boundaries <laughs> in that. I definitely experience Paul as helpful as therapy sometimes, but I'm not sure that I would want my therapist to sort of perform it on me. <laughs> um, Lulu, as the most mentally healthy person I know, which question would you like to choose for Nika about pole dancing and mental health? I'm, I mean, I, I'm guessing I know the answer for this because I know a bit about boundaries and framework, but uh, have you ever told your patients or people you work with that you are a pole dancer? No, but I wouldn't lie about it. So nobody's asked me. It's not a thing that I will openly disclose if it, that somehow becomes relevant for the work, which I find it very hard to imagine, but it's not something I would hide. I'm very different around my online presence, right? Because that's a different consideration. So I don't really post stuff. My Instagram is private. 
and I have a close friends list for, for all the poll stuff. And I'm also aware that it's possible that someone will eventually see me in the background of someone else's video or something like that. And that, that sort of, then I need to address that when it happens. This is something that I do separately from the work I do. And it's not something that I think should be hidden. I have had a similar thing with stand-up where I was due to start a counselling placement at a school and they found out because of my online presence I do stand up and they were like oh we think it's inappropriate we're not having it it's very difficult because you want to be able to have an online presence for these things but you know they should also be allowed to be separate I think and I think that's especially hard when you're training mm. because I do know of therapists who have very strong online presences doing other stuff you know I know of people who are musicians and so I think there's a ranking in what type of second career mm. is sort of acceptable. I used to work a lot in social media. There are videos and recordings and comments I've made at my former job about hate speech and social media. And this, no one has ever raised this as an issue. And clearly I have an online presence in which I express some very strong opinions, right? So it's, I, I do think there's an element of ranking of, okay, what type of behavior outside is it that we're going to say is fine for clients to see you do and what type isn't. I, uh, I was at a training a few weekends ago and I saw on one of the jackets that someone had a pin that was like sex work is work. I was like, ooh, and then I stood there like a creep waiting to see which one of my colleagues has that so that I know I have someone for referrals. I think we're very, as a, as a profession, we're not very good at talking about sex work in general. And I think because of the background of the profession of psychotherapy, there's a lot of weird stuff about sex in the background. Mm. So, and I know that this is something that I sort of, I don't hide it, but I do do a little bit of a check when I'm talking to colleagues before deciding what I'm going to say. I'm a pole dancer or I'm a dancer in my free time. Yeah. Mm. But with clients, I guess there's all this kind of transference, counter-transference stuff that you've got to avoid. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I wouldn't sort of, I genuinely, not because I'm ashamed of it, but because I think it would be a problem if my clients saw me doing a sexy routine, sort of. I would not want to be in a situation in which a client watches me perform and I don't perform, so that's that's okay. That's a balance I had to agree on. Okay, I not that I think I would ever do comps, but I also wouldn't do a sort of a showcase for the studio we train at because I know there's a realistic chance that I might run into someone and I, I'm okay with sort of making those types of balances. But I also think there's something underlying them in terms of what do we see as an acceptable way of being in the world when I'm not in my role. That's so interesting in the context of bringing your whole self to work and what people can and can't do on that front because it feels kind of ironic where you're in a profession where you're helping people with sides of themselves that they might have stigma around or be ashamed of but from a position of care you have to maybe keep other things out of their sightline to do it properly. Yeah, I mean, I think the way I make peace with it is I think what I bring in a session isn't the fact that I pole dance. It's what has the experience of pole dancing taught me about my body, about my sexuality, about being sensual in a space with other people, about shame, about sort of my own body image. So that's what I work. So similarly, how I wouldn't discuss my relationship status or how I wouldn't discuss, you know, my family relationships, but I still bring those in as a sort of how do I use this in the service of a client? Mm. Or at least that's what I tell myself about this. <laughs> Could we um, go into that? How has Paul changed your understanding of yourself? 
I think the most important thing for me about pole was I wasn't very good at it in the <laughs> beginning. I'm, I'm in a bigger body than a lot of the people who do pole. I uh, didn't really have a lot of upper body strength. I'm very bottom heavy. I didn't do yoga or any or ballet even as a child. So I it was something that I just I wasn't very good at it when I started. Not that I'm very good at it now, but I'm much better. Incorrect. <laughs> Thank you. But I really liked it. And that was weird. That was a weird experience doing something because I enjoy it, even though I can tell that I am by far sort of four steps behind everyone else in the class. And that was really important to to do a hobby that is purely for enjoyment. It's not going to turn into my side business. I don't have to progress at it. I don't have to go to competitions. I don't have to do any of these things. I'm allowed to just have fun, even if, you know, I don't think people would pay money to watch me, at least initially. Now I think I'm a bit better at it, but it's sort of that happened because I allowed myself to keep going to it despite knowing, okay, this is not going to be my bread and butter. I think that's so interesting because I think almost everything now there's a sense that if you enjoy it you have to find a way to monetize it nothing can just be purely for pleasure capitalism way. is the best yeah. and if you're looking to buy something why not <laughs> buy some of lovely Tony's lovely salsa <laughs> it's too hot <laughs> it's far too hot you said that it was the sensual classes that ended up capturing you what is it about those classes that you really like for me it was about the process of okay how can I be sensual with another person but not have that be interactive? So how am I around being in my body and being in this sort of sexualized space in a sensual type of movement with other people without that having to be about other people? Mm. You learn how to interact in that way with people you're having sex with. You know how to be like that on your own, but there's something about it that's private in a very intimate and secret way. For me, it was like, oh, I can be in a room full of mostly women, but in a room full of people who are doing this same thing and we're doing it together, but we're not doing it with each other. That was mind blowing. That was like, oh, oh, this is a completely new way of being for me. Wow. Something I love about talking to people about pole dancing is what I hear over and over again, especially from people who are subject to misogyny, is people who've had experiences of trauma from all the levels, from objectification, assault, all of the stuff, is that pole and the freedom to express sexuality and sexiness in a pole class without feeling consequences or violence from it really rebuilds the idea in your brain that being sexy is okay and it can be just for you that it's not something that will be met with like consequences kitty valore is a um pole dancer who's talked about that like she talked about how she had an experience of sexual assault and her style is stripper style pole dancing it is full-on like this is horny and that's what makes it amazing and yeah she talked about how that rebuilt in herself a sense of this is for me and this is safe Absolutely. I, you know, that's may maybe that's my PhD in the making. I, <laughs> I can't sort of, I, this is an opinion. It's an informed opinion, but it's an opinion. That is generally a part of what you do as a, as a sort of aftermath of trauma work. So one of the things that you will do with trauma clients eventually is 
support them to go outside of the therapy room and find some support out there. And I do think Paul is really unique in, in that it's safe in that sense. It's, yeah. it's really interesting, actually, the parallels between the therapy session and Paul class. It being a contained space to be vulnerable, but also and, and deal with the ideas of shame, but also know that it's completely safe. Yeah, yeah. That's been my experience with Paul. I do sometimes have moments where I'm thinking, mm, I imagine it could also work the other way around for some people, that it could be incredibly exposing and sort of, but I imagine those people don't don't show up in the first place. Mm. Although, you know, it must have happened a few times that someone came and was like, this is overwhelming. I am not comfortable going into a spread eagle around people <laughs> okay. I don't know. Leave me alone. This leads me to my next question. One of the things that's put me off ever trying to do poll, are you not worried about accidentally flashing your whole fanny while you're pole dancing? I have flashed my whole everything more than once while your pole whole dancing. <laughs> my, my whole whole. I think that's part of something that I eventually learned to enjoy is that, you know, bodies are bodies and it doesn't, it just doesn't faze me. I have seen and shown things that a gynecologist would not see. <laughs> And I'm sort of okay with it. It's not, it's not a sexualized context in that sense. Even when someone's doing sensual dancing, they're not, if they're not actively trying to show you something, it eventually that just becomes another part of the body. I think for me, the worry there is though, it's not sexualized for you, but you can't control how it's perceived by others. Yeah. It's interesting, the parallel between stand-up and pole dancing, because whenever I'm watching videos, I'm like thinking, wow, this is amazing. But I'm also just so nervous that like something's gonna whoop, like pop out. <laughs> and people have said to me, oh, I, I find it really difficult to enjoy stand up because, um, you know, even though it's funny, I'm spending the whole time worrying for the comedian. And, um, and I think, well, that's a waste of your time because when I'm up there, I'm not worrying about that. <laughs> so I guess it is like, it doesn't really matter what the other person's thinking. But yeah, it's for you, it's not sexualized, but I guess my... well. Right after my beginner's course, there was a, I don't know what it was, in my head at the time, it was the most mega, super, ultra advanced class in the world. I think it was just like a choreo class or something. But there were women in heels and in, in sort of matching sets. I was petrified. I had this moment of like, I could never. I mean, they all look great, but I could never. I How are you not embarrassed? How are you not? It was really, I was, you know, in my broad T-shirt and bicycle, bike shorts and and bicycle <laughs> brought the bike in I was not wearing a bicycle again just in the wrong class by accident <laughs> this isn't spinning oh no but eventually I became more comfortable with it it certainly wasn't there from the get go I was mortified it happens to a few other people they get really embarrassed you didn't even see it because you're trying not to die while you slip off the pole and then eventually for me that just became oh okay this is fine and then, you know, now I have zero issue with any of that. Okay. We have a challenge for you. Okay. <laughs> because I have Googled psychotherapy, I, <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe Nika can interpret one of my dreams. This is actually more Jungian. Yeah, I'm um, Gestaltist. Okay, guys, cool. And I didn't have any... I, I didn't I didn't graduate. I didn't <laughs> really have to make that clear. Luckily for both of you as well, I had an intense dream last night, uh, which I'm about to tell you about. 
Nika, do you consent to interpreting my dream? Well, I consent to showing you what gestaltists do with dreams, which is not interpreting. I'm not sure how how much you'll like that. I'm so like, excited. Perfect. Here we go. In the dream, I was trying to organize a surprise party for my friend. We were at like sort of like a posh cabin in the woods and I was running around trying to get everything ready for the surprise party and people were arriving and for some reason I had to collect all their jewels but then my sister, my middle sister, turned up and she was really angry with me because I hadn't been spending enough time with her so she was pissed off and then I remembered that I had to catch a train because I was running late for a gig that I'm supposed to be emceeing on Sunday so I was really stressed but then my sister went off into the woods and because she was annoyed I went, ugh, fine so I had to leave the party and follow her into the forest and I was going around the forest and I eventually found her in a glade but she was weaving in and out between these 10 giant mushrooms it was kind of like Stonehenge like they were massive and there were 10 of them in a line and my sister was like weaving out between them and I was trying to get through the mushrooms to find her but then I couldn't and I was really stressed and I woke up I don't know what I imagined a Shandoxy dream would be. I knew that it would include jewels, a glade, a forest, and giant mushrooms. Like, this is just so on brand for you. Ah, thanks. Yeah, that's true. I I had no clue what it would be, but now that I've heard it, I'm like, yeah. Shame. Bit of whimsy, bit of stress. (laughs) Deep need for being around people. Cool. So if this were a therapy session, which is not, I would now ask you to repeat all of that, except to tell me the dream as if it's happening right now. Okay, I've just run from this party, which I organized, and I think was going quite well, to be honest. But then my sister ruined it by being pissed off. So I'm in this forest, and I'm just trying to like weave around these huge mushrooms trying to find Megan, and she's running away from me. Why is she doing that? (laughs) Oh, well, there you go. You were already adding elements to it that weren't there in the first. Oh, and is that the gestalt that I'm bringing? There are a few different things that you can do. But yes, you you help a person explore the other option. I think you're going to enjoy this much more is is to try and tell me the dream from the point of the view of the mushroom. Whoa. What's happening to the mushroom? Is the mushroom trying to bring me closer to my family? Okay, there you go. So the, the, the logic behind it being, it's your dream. Uh-huh. Literally everything in it, you've made up. <laughs> oh, fuck. Why did I come up with this? <laughs> I have no idea, but you put that mushroom there for a reason. Ten of them. Uh, okay, ten. Is the number important? Yeah, they were ten. What's too, important about the number? It's too many. Okay, there you go. It's not fair. <laughs> I often feel this about dreams, because I only... I didn't realise this was weird until last year. I only have stress dreams or nightmares. I never have... Nice dreams. Oh, oh man. I know. And no wonder I'm knackered all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, I should wake up like, oh, God, that was awful. Oh, well, start the day. Like, um, I don't know how to fix it, but the to what you were just saying is it's your head. It's so annoying because it's like, I could have anything. I could. Have, this is all my fault. Like I could have anything yeah. in it, and yet I've spent the entire night trying to explain to someone why something wasn't my fault. While like you know, a, a, a chainsaw just follows me over my head. Like, it's like it's, your brain is a gig booker, and it's only booked acts that stress you out or make it's, you. It's feel comedy awful. only. <laughs> <laughs> So, Nika, can I conclude with this, that I need to speak to the mushroom and ask what it wants and then ring my sister? No, you need to be the mushroom. I need to be the mushroom. And ring your sister and tell her what the mushroom wants. Hi, Megan. I'm 10 mushrooms. (laughs) And are you pissed off that I'm not organizing you a surprise 30th birthday party? Mm. I think we got there. You look happy with this outcome and I'm happy. Thank you so much.
The aim of this podcast is to find out if pole dancing can solve all of our problems. And we've already got pretty far. Before we wrap up, let's see if Nika can work out how pole dancing can solve the other problems in me and Lulu's lives. Lulu, what at the moment is causing you great distress? Uh, okay, one of my problems at the minute is that I have this dog, right? And she's a lovely dog, but she thinks she's a cat. Um, Why is that a problem? Because, <laughs> because I, I paid I paid top dollar for a dog. Okay. So as a psychotherapist, how do you recommend that I make my dog see the truth of her? Have you ever tried putting your dog in front of a mirror? Yeah, she doesn't understand. <laughs> but nor, nor do I. She's just copying my behaviour. So, like, Okay, yeah. okay. Have you tried putting your dog in front of a mirror and having a cat next to it? No. I believe that would cause some, some furore. But I'll give it a go. Thank okay, you. Okay, yeah. so take your dog and a cat to a pole dancing studio. They have a lot of mirrors. Put them in front of a mirror and see what happens. Love that. Look at that synergy. That's perfect. Thank you. My problem... I don't know. I feel it's a bit unfair because um, I already had my deep psychosexual distress. There was nothing sexual. What? Yeah, I was going to say. Apparently, wow. it was. How, how turgid were the mushrooms? <laughs> the mushrooms were sexy. Nika, I'm 32 years old. Every time I try to leave the house, it takes me like 45 minutes because I can't find anything in my fucking life. Can't find my keys. Can't find my card. Can't find myself. Uh, this can't continue. What can I do with my pole to stop this happening? Well, I guess you can attach little hooks on the top of your pole and just hang your stuff from it. Amazing. So it could be like a sort of laundry spinning thing yeah. as well. Crucially, not in the middle, because I feel like... Yeah, that would, that would, that would impact pole. your pole dancing. Yeah. But somewhere really towards the top, plus then you get to do one climb less whenever yes. you're con- doing conditioning. Also, when we all had to pole dance at home, we got really good at doing the pole obstacle course in your house. Yes. Of learning moves that are avoiding, like the radiator, the sofa, the couch. I had a couch. Yeah, I had a couch that I had to sort of fly over every time I did a spin because it was not nice when I didn't. <laughs> there are, honestly, I think there's almost some copyrighted moves that are sort of immediate leg withdrawals because you're just going past your sofa or radiator and you're like, yeah, that spin's not going to work with this. Okay, put it on the pole. That's the moral. We put it on the pole. Nice one. Wait, Sham, very quickly, what's wrong with your arm? It's covered in bruises. Pole dancing! dancing. (laughs) So that's one thing I have to do. Luckily, my office has aircon, which is in summer because I, and I really, I bruise easily. And that feels like I can't have a session with my client being blue all over both arms and my neck. uh, (laughs) So that's one thing I really, I think I wear much more, I'm much more covered in my sessions than I would normally be. I'm not talking that I would, oh, you know, come half naked, but it's sort of, I'm always wearing long sleeves or something (laughs) because I look like someone took a baseball bat at me most of the time and that's not a good look for your therapist. (laughs) I had no idea about this. So uh, two questions I have because, again, I know nothing about pole. Presumably it's not like impact. It's from... It's squeezing, yeah. And then secondly, how does that... If you are a a performer for money or in in whatever capacity on the pole, um, does that not show up? Low lighting in strip clubs and 
for people who do pole dancing in strip clubs, for example, the stuff that they do is moves that they've done so many times that that bit of their body just doesn't bruise anymore. It's completely just the muscle underneath has okay. built up. Oh, it's like when you play guitar and you exactly. get hard exactly. fingertips. Right. It's, it's, it's exactly that. Like you You've get um, rough calloused arms. Yeah, 100%. Mm. Or um, I remember when I did a week of pole training, by day two, my hands were bleeding too much to hold on to the pole. Um, and it really then... is the sexiest of all <laughs> sporting endeavours, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I know. I think one of the reasons that people in strip clubs will wear fishnets with the quite loose netting is because if you're wearing fishnet tights, you've still got enough grip from your legs to hold onto the pole, but also you're disguising the bruises or oh, other, yeah, other impact oh. points. And then also it's just pole dancers get to the point where you just can't feel anything. And that's the oh, aim, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah. Lovely little exercise. Yeah, sort to, of. to become physically and emotionally numb. numb. <laughs> Right. Well, same with stand-up, really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Can I ask another question about social media? Yeah. Do you feel, as a practicing counsellor, that you have to be online for marketing? Absolutely not. Ah. So it depends a bit on what type of work you do. You know, I think it makes sense if you do groups, if you do short-term work, if you do... But I don't... The amount of investment you have to put into a social media account for it to actually be worth it versus the outgoing you're going to get into clients. That is not, I've sort of, I've tried crunching some numbers. I was like, lol, no. (laughs) I think there's also generally a problem with sort of mental health on social media space. It's not designed to be short, catchy and sort of really applicable to everyone. I'm a TikTok counsellor. Wow. Uh, Yeah. No, I always feel when I'm advertised, I mean, I've been with the same therapist for eight years. I'm very happy with my therapist. But I always feel when I'm advertised personally, maybe I'm a snob, I'm very suspicious of it. I'm like, I mean, I know know people have difficulty accessing counselling, so whatever helps is great. But like, to me, it always seems like it's not going to be a very personal or like studied experience and it's it's always says things like text them anytime and I'm like well there goes like boundaries and framework to begin with you know to each their own yeah it's and it's such a difficult it's such a difficult topic because I don't think there's a right answer in that sense right I absolutely agree that accessibility is a problem and sort of and there's something around I think it's great that we're talking about trauma but then and this is this is just a problem on social media. I don't think this is a general societal problem. But I do then see people starting to use the therapy language to beat each other over the head. There's something around, you know, if I'm feeling the hurt, you must have actively hurt me. Here's some therapy lingo to prove that this is correct. Bang, just, bang, bang. Yeah, yeah, solidifying a victim position. And I, I think there people don't understand that a lot of therapy is not just naming it, but then working through it and I think on social media you can name it but then not apply or understand again I think there's great value in giving people the language to describe what has happened to them it's about what do you do with this now that where that whole thing sort of implodes so psychoeducation absolutely but you can't use reading memes as replacement (laughs) for trauma work and then apply it to other people around you that's the bit where that just sort of goes woo it's a good motto to live by (laughs) I've been reading a lot of memes though guys (laughs) I'm gonna be honest um I wanted to ask about the personal disclosure thing because it feels it can be a bit contradictory and yeah in terms of 
pole because of the connotations people have with it. I remember I met some women in a poll class who both are social workers and they work with vulnerable kids. So they were doing really cool stuff, but it was never going on their social media, like not even to their close friends on Instagram because they reasonably thought if this gets picked up, you know, they both worked with kids who'd been groomed and stuff. Like they just couldn't have any of that content interfere with their professional lives. I was doing therapy sessions with someone because they had disclosed that they'd had quite a similar experience to me. And it's weird because the personal disclosure actually helped me find someone who really helped. Is there a rule of thumb for that? Or do you just kind of have to play it by ear from person to person? I think you have to play it by ear. I do. So that's what I mean a little bit with I don't hide it, right? I... I do have a very loose idea of a few other colleagues that I would refer people to and who would refer people to me. Depending on what's happening in the session, I, th I think I have a, on my website, I have a very small general statement around values in terms of, you know, what are the, some underlying principles of how I work, which include that, you know, I don't think there are inherently unhealthy occupations and this so it, I think there's there's also something a little bit about reading between the lines that might help when it comes to finding people I absolutely think there is some value in some self-disclosure I also think the idea that we can be blank slates is ridiculous mm -hmm. the majority majority of my clients come from a migration background the majority of my clients are non-white mm. I have a picture of myself on the website that is a self-disclosure. My name, which is clearly a foreign-sounding name, and the fact that I say I offer therapy in multiple languages is a form of self-disclosure that also clearly influences who decides to come and see me. <sighs> so it, it's it's more around, okay, how do I, what is the appropriate bounded way of framing this? But I don't think we can avoid self-disclosure. No, I, there was a place I was uh, trying to get a placement at where which was just for queer clients and you had to be queer to work there and the clients knew that but equally just because someone has a shared label doesn't mean that you've had the same experience it might be a false lead because just because you're seeking someone who's done the same kind of work as you doesn't mean that they've had the same experience it, in many cases it might be better to talk to someone who's got a neutral understanding of it and i think ultimately sort of you know as as therapists we like to be all very fancy around how we do healing work but we also run a business so i think there's something around i need to know what my limited criteria, what my entry points are. And for some people, you know, it doesn't have to be a specific aspect of identity, but some people genuinely just don't want to have to explain some bits of their life if they're coming to see you for others. Mm. I, When I was looking for a therapist in London, I was looking for someone who was not a native English speaker because there's something around the therapy language in which sometimes when things come up for me, they do not come up in English. And that's really hard to explain to someone. I didn't want therapy in Croatian. I just didn't want the topic of therapy to become my issues with how do I communicate internal experiences that I've learned in a different language. I just I wanted to bracket that out or if it becomes relevant to have someone who knows what I'm talking about, who I don't have to educate on what is this process like, right? And some people will have that experience with aspects of their identity. They'll feel like I don't want to have to, you know, 
explain polyamory to my therapist if I'm not coming to relationship problems. <laughs> like, I'm coming to see you because I'm depressed. I don't want to have to navigate with you around what does this... So yeah. I, I think that's legit because, yeah, people will pay you money. So they get to decide how much pre-educated and stuff um, around their lives and around the aspects that they live in. So you got to be. interesting, that crossover between needing to find your right market, but then also does that make you suitable or less suitable? I have a big question. Do you mind if I jump in? You, you must. I, I shall. What would you do if you ran into a client in a pole dancing class? Oh, I talked about this with my supervisor. I think <laughs> I would probably sort of discreetly leave the class. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, not because I would have a problem with that as much as I think I don't want to put them in a situation where they have to decide what, what's going to happen next. But there is a chat that I have with my clients in general around meeting them outside of the, the therapy space where I generally say, I will ignore you unless you say hi first, at which point I will say hi back and that's it. That, that's the level of inter... I will ignore you because I have no clue who you're with. If you might then awkwardly try and explain who <laughs> I am or who I'm not. So I will, I will pretend like I didn't see you unless this somehow matters to you and you want to say hi, at which point I will say hi back, but we're not going to have a little chatty catch up and I'm sort of, I'm going to remove myself. So, yeah, I think I would probably leave. And I think that would be in line with the expectations that I sort of set. And then I would talk to them about it in the next session if they showed up, which I hope they would. I hope you get a refund for your class. <laughs> I don't think I would, but let's see. <laughs> Nika, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It was brilliant. Really enjoyed it. Um, I would like to give one final shout out to lovely Tony and his lovely salsa. Tony, if you're listening, get in touch. We need that money. Poll the Other One was created by me, Shandoxy. Co-hosted with Lulu Popplewell, edited by Alice Rosenthal, with original music by Amelia Baylor. Follow us on Instagram at PollTheOtherOne, and please tag us if this episode has got you started pole dancing or doing things to a lamppost that are generally frowned upon. We love to create art, but we'll settle on all of you becoming a menace to society. If you'd like to help us keep making the show, you can support us on Patreon. The link to that is on all of our episodes or through the link in our Instagram bio. We're going to start having bonus content on there, including longer episodes, as we get further into Series 2. That's not available yet, so at the moment, supporting our Patreon just makes you into a, capital letters, cool guy of any gender. Which is worth, like, a pound a month, maybe? I think so. Anyway, stay posted for news about that. Thanks very much for listening and see you next time. Pull, pull, pull the other one.